0: Hey everybody, Terry Welbrock here. Just wanted to thank you for being here and being a part of this healing space. Uh, This is my soul work, as I've said often on this show and on my social media accounts. Um, So yeah, I just feel compelled to put this beautiful light of hope out into the world with these interviews and... uh, just this inspiration that's happening in the world right now. I just, I don't know, I feel as if there's a darkness that's trying to overcome us. And you look on social media and you look on the news and it's just so overwhelming, but there's so much goodness and there's so much light and uh, we just need to focus on that. So that is my goal with this show. And again, I just, uh, I thank you for being here. Again, if you want to go to... Um, myacademy.terriwellbrock.com. I have some courses on there, and I have a um, some coaching that I've just started to utilize as well. So be sure to go visit that. Visit TerryWellbrock.com. T-E-R-I-W-E-L-L-B-R-O-C-K. And you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter. And be sure to go to the YouTube channel or uh, the Facebook page or any of the audio outlets and subscribe. Um, the podcast just hit downloaded in 100 countries. Woohoo. So that's a big uh, that's a big milestone. We're now in 100 countries. All right. well, this was a, a great interview coming up. so stay tuned. Welcome everybody to the Healing Place Podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and so super thrilled to have with me today, Justin Caffrey. And Justin is recognized thought leader in mindfulness, resilience, and well-being. So welcome, Justin.
1: Thanks, Terry. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. We connected through PodMatch, which has been just an amazing resource for connecting me with folks that... Wouldn't really come across my radar normally. Uh and I'm just so excited that that I found you and that we've connected and you've agreed to come share your beautiful insights on the show. So thank you.
1: Thank you. It'd be nice to share it. Yes.
0: Yeah, so tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you're doing.
1: Sure. Thanks, Terry. Um so I'm now um in in, in my my hopefully near final iteration. Um I work Helping people in terms of coaching and therapy around stress, anxiety, depression, and dealing with loss. And I suppose when I say dealing with loss, I think the cornerstone of most people's challenges tends to be loss. And from my, my own side, my path started with losing um, my second child, my son Joshua. But I think for everybody who's struggling, or for the vast majority, and certainly the people that I've met, in session with them over the last eight years, loss is like the starting point, you know, it can be loss of a job, it can be loss of a relationship, it can be loss of a business through a failing, it can be loss of sovereignty and our capacity to be free during COVID and lockdowns. And all of these losses and even early losses in our childhood, you know, loss of the relationship that should have nurtured us or loss of a parent due to alcoholism or, or drug abuse. All of these things then lead us to wanting something, to try to find something to strive. And then within that comes anxiety and stress. And that was really, for me, the key part. And, and I think the, the, the irony of the statement that I can make now is that you know I found an immense beauty within loss losing my son brought me to a point of having to really think about my own life because I struggled with PTSD and then finding that pathway which really kind of brought me back to to me you know to the to the version of me and for many people we lose that sense of ourselves maybe in our childhood or teenage years and then we get drawn off in different paths and maladaptive practices so so that's kind of the cornerstone of my journey and and Joshua died in 2010 um, and then from from my own point my recovery really started in 2014. So I spent a good three and a half years being tough, manning up, not wanting to face my grief and thinking I can push through this and build another business and and I come from a very hardwired financial services hedge fund private equity world where I built and sold many businesses over 20 years. So crying and breaking down and slowing down and all those kind of things were so alien in terms of the person and the way I've been conditioned. But I always think about, you know, grief is just this relentless beast that if you don't give into it, it will eventually track you down and it will make it a lot worse the longer you try and leave it.
0: Yes, absolutely. And and I know we discussed a little bit before hitting record uh the vagus nerve and, and how I know trauma and all of all that happens with it, and what happens to our brains, bodies, spirits, just gets trapped in us in in that grief process. If we don't find a healthy way to to process it and release it, and um, deal with it, it's going to surface in ways. I know with me it was panic attacks because I hadn't processed so much of my loss from in my childhood, um, and it was just it was trying to get out of my body. It didn't know how.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think I was very lucky that when I went into therapy and my therapist subsequently became my teacher, but at the time I was the CEO of financial services company, I was flying 150 times a year. I had shareholders, board directors, all that kind of stress. And I still had not come to terms with the death of Joshua. And I had a panic attack in a really important meeting. But I think you know, as you know, Terry, and, and anybody who's had a panic attack, there are many things that happen before the panic attack where the body's trying to say to you, you know, tap, 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 you need to pay attention here to something that we haven't really quite come to terms with. And that is a multitude of different things, starting from, of course, just the sense in your own mind that I don't feel so well, but then the physical elements that come with it. And a big part of my of my studies, and and especially um, as I've gone on to take a master's in mindfulness-based interventions, really my, my big focus was on the vagus nerve and the work in the last 20 years with this really important cranial nerve 10. We have 12 cranial nerves. This one, vagus, which is Latin for wandering, is connected to all parts of the body. And as we don't deal with the stress. So the stress that we that we don't step into, that we don't come to terms with, and we allow to still build up and the next stressful event comes on, the next stressful event comes on. The body holds onto all of these stressful events. And when we're in this stress state, in this fight and flight state, what happens is that our normal functions do not need to work because the body is thinking it needs to deal with something that it has to either run from or fight and each additional stressful event, the body is slowly but surely slowing down, and shutting down. And it's quite interesting that studies around the vagus nerve, um, going back to the late 90s, where there was neck injuries, so people who had actually broken their neck, they noticed that the vagus nerve was depleting and actually dying when they looked at MRI scans and they could see that that's how the physiological impact on the whole body was taking effect. But um, some of the medical physicians who were looking at it at the time started to also notice that there was a lot of these people presenting them with psychological difficulties at the same time. So they believed that, well, that must be correlated to the accident. But then they started to think, well, let's actually look at some people who have psychological difficulties, but don't have a physical impact to the neck and see what their vagus nerve looks like. And then let's look at people who are just in need or camp. And they started to notice that the depletion of the ganglia and the main nerves around the vagus nerve in people who had just mental injuries, but no physical injuries looked very similar to people who had actually got a physical impact to the vagus nerve. So it's really at that point, some of the research started to understand that this is the cornerstone of of life, you know, and in many ways, it's the nerve that contains the spirit and our capacity to have hope and belief to continue on. And as it dies, so too does our capacity to perform and to live and to be happy.
0: Wow. Thank you for that. I, I love learning new things. And so I had not heard, I had not heard of that before and it just makes so much sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So That's it's, cool. it is super important. Um and you know, it's, It's also super complex when you get into it, but in in its simplest form, when we have our interactions in life, the body and the mind recognizes every interaction as, is this a threat to my life or is it okay? And every single event is treated in that way. And is it okay? We're in the rest and recovery phase inside our vagus nerve. And is it a threat to my life We're in the fight and flight response? And we should be 90% of the time in rest and recovery. But of course, in modern day living, many people are caught in this perpetual kind of low grade anxiety where we're always almost waiting for the next shoe to drop. And that means that the, the vagus nerve is overly stimulated and this will lead to challenges. And as you've experienced quite often for people, that that culminates in panic attacks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what, I mean, instantly I start thinking, oh my gosh, I know if I'd have heard this information back in before I stepped onto the healing journey in, in 2013. And but prior to that, had I heard this, I'd have been like, oh my gosh, my vagus nervous fried and you know, there's no hope. But there is hope about what we can do and in things that we can put into place and uh, how we can shift really mindset shifts and so many other practices. I know you practice meditation, I do as well. Uh, they can really have an impact on on that nerve and and uh, what we can do to help relieve that stress.
1: Absolutely. And I think what's really exciting about all of the, the data and the studies in the last 20, 25 years is that first of all, you know, the vagus nerve is part of the autonomic nervous system. So we always believed that we didn't have a capacity to intervene because it's autonomic. Okay. So it's managing our our heart rate, our breathing, all of the systems that we need to be able to perform under extreme environments or to go to sleep or to digest food. But what we have learned now is that where it can be overstimulated and bring you into a state of stress, we also have the capacity to bring it back. And it's I really like the expression of, doing less to accomplish more, and this is what I teach when I'm working with companies and and business people, that if you can actually slow down and if you can unburden so much of what's going on in terms of your own stress and anxiety, your capacity to be more effective in terms of making decisions and clarity increases greatly. But equally, if you're just stressed and you're you're in burnout, as, as we would often call it, where Know, as you say, you feel like my vagus nerve is fried. There is a capacity to heal, there's a capacity to bring it back to homeostasis, to a capacity where it's working just as it should. And absolutely, meditation for me was a cornerstone of that. But so too is effective living, you know, cutting out things that are unproductive and making sure that you make an assessment and understanding better of your diet, that you take care of yourself in terms of exercise and that you slow down because you can slow down and then you can speed up again a little bit, but you first of all have to heal. And to go back to the analogy again of the broken neck, I always say to people that when they're really stressed, try and think about what would it be like if you actually had a broken neck? You know, you, you would accept that you need to lie down for quite some time that you need to nurture and you need to nourish and take care of your body and your mind and a mental um, stress and a mental injury is exactly the same. We just have to take care of ourselves. And of course we can recover.
0: Yes. And I know again, as a, as a trauma survivor, slowing down for me was a horrifying thought because then I'd be alone with my thoughts. <laughs> and yeah. so really it was implementing and in, in, in building this toolbox of, of, uh, ways that I could slow down and allow myself to feel and to process and be with all of the stuff that was so scary um yeah
1: well, I think I think that's really important and often I would say to people the thing that you don't want to be with it, it's already here anyway right yeah. you know we're, we're desperately saying well if I slow down I have to deal with what's here well the reason why you're agitated and why you're Constantly running is because it's here. You can't get away from it. And I, I use the analogy often of like the old wedding cars, where you've got the tin cans being pulled behind the car as mm. the bride and groom pull off. And the tin cans are all of the stuff that we've accumulated in our life: all the traumas from our early childhood and teenage years, and our first job, and our relationship breakups, and you know when you get fired and you're you lose, you love of your life, and you lose loved ones through death all these tin cans are being pulled along and eventually there comes a point where you feel overwhelmed. So it's almost like I need to just stop the car and I need to get out and reach behind and start taking these tin cans out because often what we're running from is never as bad as we think it's going to be. You know, when we actually sit with it, we can think, okay. And like that for me with, with Joshua's death, when I was in struggling with PTSD for two and a half years, I would have flashbacks of the last moments where I watched him die. And that was the total, I think, um, amount of memory that I would have attached to his life. But when I actually went and sat with it and worked with it and meditated and, and discussed it in therapy and opened up to it, I was able to then go, that's oh, not just about the moment he died. Actually, there was a fantastic 11 months when he was alive, and I'm so appreciative for all of that time. And I have great memories of us all as a family. So the traumatic stuff, the mind is a great way of keeping us alive because it says it recognizes a traumatic issue and it goes, okay, let's not think about that anymore. Let's just keep a little snippet of it and fire it into the back of the mind so that we just see it again and we go, mm, don't go there. And that works in terms of for a while, but you know, But like most trauma sufferers, if you have already got a whole bunch of stuff in there that is previously traumatic and you put more on top, eventually you have to stop your car. You have to reach behind. You have to take those tin cans out, have a look at them in in a nice, safe environment. And then you can start to let go of some of these things and drive off without the rattling tin cans behind you.
0: Yes. What a great visual. <laughs> I'm going to use that because it's, yeah, oh. it's, it's beautiful. And so true. And too, I, I'm, I still meant to say something when you first brought up Joshua and just say, you know, my heart is hugging yours and thank you for sharing your, your journey of uh, your son and in the grief in his death.
1: Thank you. Thank you. No, it's, but it's nice to talk about him. And it's nice to be able to talk about him in the context of offering hope to other people because i think if if i hope what well, people can get a sense from from my own journey and coming through joshua's loss and and surviving ptsd which my ptsd brought me to the point of of planning my own suicide the intensity and noise of, of the the voices in my head was extreme but there's a pathway back you know even even in that eleventh hour you can get back and you can reconnect with yourself and most of the connection that's needed is the capacity to appreciate ourselves again to realize that we're we're not these horrendous characters that we've built up in our own mind you know i'm such a terrible person i know for me with guilt around joshua's death um, i felt a bit of joy after he died because his life at the end was extremely challenging he was he was in a, in a very difficult um state for his 11 months because he was born prematurely and We didn't have any sleep. We had huge stress in our lives and we desperately fought to to keep him in our lives. But at the moment of passing, there was also a moment of relief. And for people with grief, quite often, that can be a really challenging thing to navigate because the pain that you put yourself through afterwards, blaming yourself, my God, what if I tell anybody and they think I thought it was good that my son died or my mom died or my dad died. But this is the kind of reality that that you know we face you know there are moments where we have these thoughts and we have to be a bit kinder to ourselves
0: yes and I'm so glad you brought that up because that is something that I've heard come up more than once in that that it's okay to have that that relief it's okay to feel that um I don't know the joy for that person to no longer be in pain no longer be suffering yeah
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and and the nature of our emotions are that they're fleeting moments that just hit us, and we don't really have a huge amount of choice. We can't control how we feel about an event that happens in that moment. But afterwards, we can reflect back on it and understand it a bit better. And I think, you know, recovering from the loss of, of losing a child, um, for me, I think it it's offers an opportunity for everybody else to, to realize that whatever you're going through, there is a possibility. And hope that you can get through this
0: yes well i want to take a little bit of a left turn only because i'm so mesmerized by this part of your story so you you turn toward to buddhist philosophies and um and now you do like you swim in cold water and you do fasting and so so talk to us a little bit about what it is you've implemented in your life
1: sure so um by so when i went into therapy my my um, therapist who was he was a clinical um, psychologist psychiatrist and um, dr chada um, is originally from india and he practices in the uk and ireland and um he worked with me in terms of building a meditation practice as, as part of as part of my therapy and, and i use the same practice now when i'm working with people on a one-to-one basis so meditation is key but he comes from a Hindu lineage, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, I ended up getting more drawn into the Buddhist side. So the spirituality kind of came as I started to heal, which, you know, as you know, Terry, quite often is not unusual. And as I started doing my research, I discovered Buddhist psychology and I started to realize what has been within this Eastern psychology and philosophy for two and a half thousand years that in many ways in modern Western psychology, we've only had for 120, 130 years. And this somehow ended up bringing me to Japan um, and I came across um, a very old spiritual tradition called Shigendo, which is a Japanese kind of mix of Buddhism and Shintoism. And um, I trained with the Yamabushi priests. Um, so they are the protectors of the sacred mountains in Shonai in Japan. And part of the Practice and part of what I was learning with them was the whole idea of um, how we have to slow down, have to accept all that is here because it's happening anyway. And part of that journey is a five day extreme pilgrimage where you're fasting and hiking for eight to 10 hours in the mountains and you're woken up at all times of the day and disorientated, and your watch is taken away and your phone is taken away. Dressed in these traditional Japanese um, clothes of the amabushi, which effectively are the clothes, the robes that they would put you in to, um, to die, to to go through your last burial ceremony. And the beauty of the whole experience was that it made me understand that what they're really teaching us here is that if we have structure and if we have a capacity to manage ourselves and our own well-being. Then we're able to prepare for the eventualities of whatever happens in our life. Um, so it it I was already relatively structured in the fact that I would I would meditate early in the morning, um, and I I'd started already to swim in cold water before I came to meet the the Yamabushi. And but when I started to understand Shikendo and then bring it into my own spiritual practice it really excited me because the whole idea of cold water is the cleansing every day. It's the awakening of, of the mind, body, and spirit. And, and it's the vagus nerve. Okay. So here we go full circle. These guys 1500 years ago, um, developed a mountain practice that involved being in cold water for a few minutes every day. And that's the way they started today. The we now know that four minutes of cold water stimulates the vagus nerve. So I was studying this whole idea of the vagus nerve. And then I stumbled across this incredible tradition I mean most people in Japan think the Yamabushi don't even exist when I was in Tokyo I was telling people I'm going to Shonai to train with the Yamabushi they generally say but do they really exist because they're so they're so esoteric and and, and part of, of the old samurai lineage that, that people still see it as a myth but I started to realize that a lot of what I was studying in terms of the neuroscience the psychology and what we've learned in the last 20 years in modern science actually has its roots back to these guys 1,500 years ago. So it was quite simply extraordinary.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, first what pops in my mind is, like, Doctor Strange. My my daughter is such a huge Marvel fan. And so I think about, you know, that – I don't know if you've seen the movie, but Uh, when you go to this, it's almost, like, myth-like. And, um, yeah, I mean, just beautiful that you were able to connect in that way and, um, yeah, and find that – that source. I know myself, I was raised Catholic. My dad was a Jesuit brother for eight years. And so I have that part of me, but I've always, you know, as I've, as I've continued along my healing journey, I love bringing in all of these other philosophies uh, and they're just, they all seem to point in the same direction of joy and peace and the things that we can do in our lives that bring us that uh, calm and that centering.
1: Okay. Uh, I, I, look, I was brought up as a Catholic as well, and, and um, you know, I think I think all religions in terms of that hope to bring us to that point. The reason why I was drawn to Shigendo, which is the spiritual practice and the Yamabushi are the, the priests within it, is that it's for first of all, it's not a religion, it's a spiritual practice. And the core of the spiritual practice is one's connection to nature and the fact that I'm nature, you're nature, and the planet is nature. So it's the it's the harmony in terms of our equal existence on the planet with all other sentient beings. Um, but it it Shintoism, which is which predates it, is is such a beautiful part of Japanese culture and tradition. And it is just that idea of connection to nature, and it, it's very similar to old Celtic practices in Ireland that predate Christianity, where we held great reverence in terms of the sun and the moon and the sea and the land all these things are so important and we knew that if we take care of them all they take care of us so again it's so beautiful especially in the context of where we are now in the global cycle and and what we see in 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 the, the struggle to maintain this planet um in, in the 21st century
0: yes yeah beautiful well i could sit in here and talk to you I told you before we hit record, we could probably have an eight hour podcast (laughs) because again, I'm just so I'm so mesmerized by your work and um, yeah, beautiful. So is there anything that you wanted to touch upon that we really hadn't had a chance to talk about yet?
1: Um, No, I mean, I think, I think we've, we've covered it all um, quite well. I mean, I think really just the main thing is to give people a sense of sense of hope that, you know, there is possibility to change. Um, I mentioned to you at the start of, of, of a recording I've just put um, I'm just recording and putting up some videos on um, fertility and sexual performance in terms of in terms of the vagus nerve as well which is which is really interesting for people who are struggling you know especially from from a male perspective talking about erectile dysfunction is like alien for most men to be able to do but it's super important to be able to have that conversation because it's when we open up and we start to understand it, you know, it's the tin can behind us again, you know, the lack of performance in itself brings stress. So if anybody's interested around the vagus nerve, there's a whole bunch of um, videos that you can access on my YouTube channel. So just look up Justin Caffrey on YouTube and you'll find some resources that hopefully allow some of your listeners to expand their journey a little bit.
0: Wonderful. And that was my, my last thing to bring up was how do people connect with you? And I know you have a course coming out in August, which is exciting. And so, yeah, how do, how do people find all of that?
1: Great. Thanks, Terry. Um, yeah. So you, you can catch me on LinkedIn, Justin Caffrey on LinkedIn, on Instagram, um, Justin dot Caffrey on, um, YouTube as well. Just search Justin Caffrey. It's great. My surname's a bit unusual, as is my first name, so it's pretty easy to find me. Um, and yep, I've got a course coming out in June. Um, sorry, in August. We we bring together small cohorts of people who want to work together, and we do it over Zoom. And we do a whole lot of work around the vagus nerve, the nervous system, stress, anxiety, and then there is an online platform to work with you. So you get fifteen hours of tutorials as well. So if you want to um, know more about that, just message me if you want to know more. Or there's a website called tribe.co.uk. And all about the course is also over there as well.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing your beautiful insights and uh, your journey.
1: Thanks, Terry. Thanks for everybody for being here.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the com for the courses. But if you go to my website, terrywellbrock.com, you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for, uh, again, healing and hope strategies. Thanks for again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.